know, aha experience uh, where there's all of a sudden it's the, the information makes sense and you understand the words there. Like my dad at 45, first, his first Christmas as a believer, is like he's, you know, had tears in his eyes singing the Christmas hymns because now he understood them. And he, you know, had been singing, grew up in the church and he under, he'd been singing those all his life. And now he understood, you know, and ransomed captive Israel, you know. Um, uh, and so that's what effectual calling is about. And that's, that's what John is explaining to his Jewish Christian audience. Here's the reason your friends don't believe. It, you know they have the information. And I know you're sitting there scratching your head saying, why don't they believe this? This is good news. It really is. And it's good news that like all through the book of Acts, that is the, and like Jesus says, and you'll see it a lot in John as we continue on in John, where Jesus says, you don't believe about me because you don't believe Moses. That's what he tells the Pharisees. I'm not offering you a substitute religion. I'm offering you the very religion that Moses spoke of. Um, but you haven't been born again. You're, you're blind guides, he says, in the, that uh, as he talks to them. Um, so they had, hadn't had their eyes opened yet. So that's a, that's a factual calling uh, for us, that, that um, uh, God has to work, person has to be uh, born again to see, um, and to understand, to, to hear. And so God does that work, um, convincing us of, of what? Let's say these real fast. Sin and misery, enlightening what? Our minds in, in, in the knowledge of Christ. Yeah, good. And then what's he do with our wills? Renews them. So we were dead and unable to act. As an act of our will, we were unable to act. We were unable to embrace Christ. But now being made alive, an effectual calling, we're no longer um, dead in the grave spiritually, but we're alive spiritually, can respond to spiritual things. And so our, our wills are renewed. Um, and, and so, uh, and then um, uh, what's the next thing he does to us after uh, renewing our wills? Yeah, he persuades and enables us to do what? Embrace Christ. And so you embraced Christ. You did. And this is why a preacher of the gospel, you, me, the apostles, Jesus, say believe. That's an exhortation. You believe. You need to have faith. And the issue is we can't see in that person's soul if they've become alive yet. Maybe they became alive spiritually five seconds ago. Maybe two minutes ago when we were preaching the gospel. Um, and, and maybe not. And if not, they won't believe. And this is why our faith is referred to as our faith. So we don't want to be hyper-Calvinists that say the faith is not ours. So we... So to get this get this distinction, and it, I, I always forget the um, it's uh, I think it's Aristotle, not Plato, um, like the four causes. That's Aristotle, right? Good material cause and all that kind of thing. Anyway, yeah. it's it, it's uh, you, you can ask the question. Um, um, you. 
So, you know, whose who's faith is what we're looking at um, there. And, and the answer to the Bible is... Sorry, thank you. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. Is that what? Yeah. I saw. I saw that one in six. Virginia beat undefeated and ranked number 10 Carolina who had just beaten Miami pretty well the week before. So let me get this straight. Sally Lou. Yeah. We're asking an owl's face on this? Yes. <laughs> um, whose faith in scriptures is, you know, answer is it's ours. It's, it's your, it's your faith. Um, but could you believe apart from effectual calling, apart from God causing your birth, no, but it is your faith, just like it's your life, but you didn't give yourself life physically, right? You didn't make a decision to be conceived and be born and to have life. You, that was not your decision. That was your parents' decision and ultimately God's because God opens the womb. Uh, but, but, uh, once, um, but then you lived your life. Um, so it's, it's our faith, it's your, it's your faith, but yet it's a faith that you have because God gave you what? What's that? Yeah. All those, all those, all those things. I'm looking So good, good answers there. You're all, every answer I've heard is right. I'm just looking for something else in terms of birth. What has God given you? Yeah, spiritual birth, which gives you Jesus is the way, the truth, and the there you go. Yeah, so so you you you've been given spiritual life, and with this spiritual life, which includes you can hear spiritually, you can see spiritually, um, um, then because you can hear and see, you hear these words, and your mind is now enlightened in this knowledge. And you can you can believe, and so and so you have you have faith there, okay? So you don't have faith apart from God giving you spiritual birth. But once God gives you spiritual birth, separate act, you hear the call. That call of the gospel, and you know we talk about a universal call of the gospel, which is we preach the gospel to everyone. That's a universal call to call everybody to believe in Jesus. But this is making the distinction, the effectual calls when God enters in and he gives a person life so they can hear the, hear the gospel, see the kingdom of God. I think that's what Jesus says to Nicodemus. You can't see the kingdom of God because you haven't been born again. You don't have spiritual life. You're not hearing it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, Jesus says. And so once, you, once God gives you that life, um, then gospel uh, is something you hear and you believe. Um, you can't take credit for believing. Why? Right. You didn't give yourself one. Um, God, God made this possible. Um, he chose you um, when you weren't asking for him. 
he made you, he made you alive. Um, when you were, you know, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, you know, when you were dead in your transgressions and sins, God made you alive. So your spiritual life has nothing to do with you other than God elected you before the foundation of the earth. Um, but uh, once you have life, then you have then the, the ability to hear and see and you believe. And this is why we call people to faith and why we don't uh, have the hyper-Calvinist view where we say, well, you know, if they're going to believe, they're going to believe. Uh, but you see Jesus calling people to faith, Jesus calling people to believe. Um, do you believe in the Son of Man? He says to the blind man in, in John John 9. And, and the blind man says, yes, Lord, tell me who he is. Uh, and, and Jesus Jesus says, it is me. You know, it's, it's him who is speaking to you, him who you now see. And he bows down and worships Jesus. Um, and so that's just a, a little... Um, um, uh, corrective to you know uh, hyper Calvinism, and Calvin was not a hyper Calvinist. <laughs> Calvin, Calvin would have you know for people who say you know my salvation you know I had nothing to do with it. Uh, Calvin said no, you had something to do with it. You responded, you know, to the, to the gospel, but you were enabled, but you embraced Jesus Christ and your will being renewed embraced jesus christ so god god gets the credit for this just like your parents get the credit for your birth and not you yeah um is it does it exist say that someone is enabled but at the time they don't embrace christ yeah great question and so that's a mystery yeah, air, air fist bump there. Um, yeah, that's a great question. At what point does somebody, you know, what's, what's the time frame between uh, being uh, um, regenerated through this effectual calling and the person, and the person believing? And, and there's no scriptural answer to that. Um, does it, you know, uh, there's a funny Steve Martin uh, we'll skip there where Paul Simon is trying to be a comic, com, comic and he comes in and asks Steve questions about comedy and he says, how long should I wait between a punchline or between the setup and the punchline? And Steve goes, a second and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Paul writes it down. Um, but yeah, that we, we, we don't know. We don't know um, that. Um, yeah, and, and so we're just we're just loose on that. Um, uh, we would we would also say if someone's elected, they will be regenerated, given spiritual birth. That's synonymous, uh, and God will get the gospel to them, and they will believe. Um, and effectual calling is where we kind of get this all together: the um, regeneration, hearing the gospel, and having saving faith. Are all included in effectual calling. Yeah, Matthew. So, two questions. Yeah. Uh, one, what led to hyper-Calvinism? Because, you know, it seems there was Calvinism. Yeah. And then, so there had, it seems like hyper-Calvinism would have been something, a response to something. 
Yeah. Um, and then, and then two, with respect to the question, is it possible to be elect, but then there's a, a period of time. If you flip it on its head and, and kind of try to view it from God's point of view, right. would that question even make any sense? You know what I mean? Like, you know, God is elected, and then the, and then you were to say, "Hey, God, is there a period of time?" It would, and God God could say, "Yeah, I, I elected this person before the foundation of the world." Ephesians one four. And I regenerated him. Okay, where is he? Eastern time zone in the United States in 1948. Yeah, I, and, and he could give you the exact time. He re regenerated someone. And he could give you the exact time to the second that the person expressed saving faith in the gospel. Yeah. I, I guess what I'm saying is that if there is nothing that prevents saving faith, if elected, mm -hmm. the kind of time aspect of it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, there's nothing in scripture I can answer on that one. No. All right, so back to question one. What yeah, is other than the scripture talks in, in terms of our experience and, yeah. and that we're regenerated and that um, uh, uh, ha having been um, regenerated, we believed Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Um, you know, uh, I, I do believe it came up first, you know, really after, um, uh, after, uh, uh, John Calvin. So John Calvin's 1509 to 1556. So the 15th front half of the 1500s. And I think the first hyper Calvinism probably comes in the late 1500s. And, and the answer to that is look today, talk to any Baptist who's in a reformed church now. And if they're in their first three years, they're hyper Calvinist. And this is why I'm explaining this to you, because I hear I hear this, because you get really excited about grace, right? It wasn't me, and it doesn't depend on me, and that has relieved your soul. Because if it, if it was based on you, then you could lose it. Whether you've articulated that in your head or not, you kind of understand that. If belief depended upon me, then... I could lose my salvation. The Wesleyans, you know, the Wesleyans are right. The Arminians are right um, on that. And so you've been greatly relieved and comforted and warmed by God's love that he made sure you got saved when you couldn't do that. And that's a wonderful truth. It really is. And, and so you've just taken it a step too far and said, because you got really excited and you said, you know, so you hit the gas all the way down to see how far the car could go. And there was a wall coming up and you just kept your foot down on the pedal. Uh, you didn't you didn't slow down when you got to the, the edge of what scripture declares. Things like our faith when you believed is a term in the New Testament when you believed. And so you believed you responded. And, and so we just get over it. We just get hyper excited. And so we get hyper Calvinist. And so that's a typical thing that what, what they call it, the, the raging reformed person or something like that. You know, that that when people first come out of Arminianism to um, Calvinism, they typically go too far and they're telling everybody they don't believe anything. All their Christian friends that no one understands anything.
<laughs> and they're obnoxious. And so you have to, to help them to understand grace is really great. Um, but um, you, you did believe, but it was because God acted first. We love him because he first loved us. Yeah, Bill. Uh, part of the answer to what uh, Matthew is asking, how did it start? Yeah. You're pointing out kind of a reactionary thing that someone who has come to believe is reacting against his past. Yeah. And the pendulum swings too far the other way. Yeah. The other source, though, of it is, I shouldn't use the enemies, people who disagree with you. Yeah tend to point the finger and accuse you of the extreme. Jews talking to Christians, you believe in three gods. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No, we don't. (laughs) But it's the enemy reacting to us that accuses. That's where these extremes come from. They're accusations. Uh I've seen that a lot. Mm. People call that a strong man. And that comes from Mm-hmm. old wartime practice getting ready for a battle you set up a straw man yeah. you get your sword or your bayonet <laughs> oh, got you sucker yeah. gotcha gotcha take mm-hmm. that take that yeah it's pretty easy to do to a straw man but then take that to a yeah. genuine enemy yeah. a straw man is something you set up it's easy to defeat Yeah. yeah. so you set up things you think the three gods you're a hyper Calvinist yeah. you're this yeah. you're this yeah. it's an accusation thing and a, a lot of the accusation for um, those who believe in election, like Jesus. Um, <laughs> again, the, the, the term election, uh, predestination, uh, foreordination, all that kind of thing. It's like 44, 49 times in the New Testament, speaking of salvation. So that's a pretty big num- number of verses you have to uh, cut out of your Thomas Jefferson, cut out of your Bible. <laughs> To, to not believe in election. Um, but yeah, the, the big accusation that typically comes is, so nothing we do matters then. If God just makes it all happen, we're just robots. And we're like, no, you know, it's just, it's just a typical thing. Anything we're new in, we kind of go back, go a little bit too far in. And we have to pull back and see. And the, the key for us is finding what's scriptural. That's the key. We don't care if we're extreme, if that's what Jesus is. Right. Me that it's, it's a bit of intellectual inertia that if you if you believe it it's going to proceed forward there's yeah. logical conclusions to it yeah but you need the bible uh, to kind of guide see its limits down, you know uh, yeah. apply a certain reciprocal force so that you don't yeah. come to these ridiculous conclusions yeah yeah good okay so we're looking at millennial views now um, first one we'll uh, look at here, we looked at last week, amillennialism. <clears throat> now, a millennium is how many years? Thousand, Thousand years. And, and so uh, if we start the millennium um, at Jesus' ascension, um, when was the millennium over? Yeah, 1030. Um, and not, not many, most, most views on the millennium don't take it as a strict thousand years. Um, it, it's typically, uh, dispensationalism does. There are a few in each of the different, like five views that, that will, but they don't represent the main part of it. But generally in, uh, uh, dispensational, 
uh, views on the millennium. They see it as a pretty strict thousand years. But um, so that's what we're talking about, uh, the thousand years from Revelation 20. And that's where it comes from, Revelation 20. Um, and so amillennialism uh, means, means what? From last week. Yeah, there is a millennium. It's not a thousand years. And when does that millennium? When? It, what period is that millennium? What was that described? Yeah, ascension to return. That's the millennium. The big, the big period of time. If you understand Old Testament prophets, that's no issue at all. Uh, but if you don't understand Old Testament prophets and how years are used and days and those kind of things in the Old Testament prophets that we can just verify by here's when this was went told and here's when it happened in history. And, and you see that there are generally large terms like a thousand years, there are middle terms like 70 years, and then there are smaller terms like 10 hours or you know seven days. And, and, and it's not God saying, set your watch because I know you all have uh, quartz, you know, uh, my watch now is solar, so I never have to wind it. I just have to make sure I get out. It's never stopped since I got it, so it's working. Uh, but, um, you know, that's, a, that's an absurd thing to think that people would understand that uh, even through, you know, say, 1400 B A.D., A.D. 1400. And so when the Bible is speaking 1400, 1300 years before that and prior, we can't take our definitions back into their day. We have to understand how did cultures, how did people understand things like this? And so closest thing, you know, we have things like that. We say, you know, this will this will go on until the cows come home. And now we don't even know the agriculture to explain the ranching to explain that. But we know what that means. It means that's going to happen forever. You mean for eternity? No, a long time, dummy. You know, and, and so that's where the Old Testament prophets work. So when you read Revelation and see thousand years, John is writing, uh, and, and to people who understood these things, to people who didn't have watches and didn't have calendars with seven days written on, you know, that kind of thing. Um, they, they weren't scheduling things on their smartphones. Um, and so we have to get out of our own, um, if this were someone talking to me in 2023 view of the Bible and understand the Bible uh, is not written to me. It is written for my benefit and God has given it as a good gift to me. But John the apostle was not writing the gospel of John to me. Um, Ezekiel was not writing his book to me. He was writing to other people at another time with different circumstances, and he had a particular message for them. Um, the whole Bible is love God and love your neighbor. And when God's people didn't understand that in a particular period of history and needed specific instruction, how do we love God? How do we love neighbor in our circumstances? God wrote a book of scripture. And that's why we had, um, that's why we have 66 books written over 15, you know, about 1500 years to us instead of a book written in a single sitting. Uh, it, it's because it's God explaining to his people at various times, particular messages they needed to hear. The Thess just take the New Testament. 
the Thessalonians in their city needed a different message than the Philippians did in their city several years later. Okay, and, and Paul doesn't write the Philippian book to the Thessalonians. Um, now we have the benefit of seeing all the books, um, but first century, they didn't see all the books. Okay, um, so post-millennialism, um, when we talk about millennialism, uh, again, what are, uh, when we say post or pre or ah, uh, what are we referring to relative to the millennium? So in the millennium, um, You've got so a thousand years here. Um, we don't take that literally, set your clocks, but the millennium. So when we say uh, pre-millennium or post-millennium or all-millennium, what are we what are we referring to? Why do we say pre pre what post what? Yeah. So I, I believe pre-millennium is thousand years and then the um, rapture and then post is a thousand years after the rapture is like there's that? no rapture okay I, I understand there's no rapture what 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 is the what is those who believe in a rapture referring referring to what teaching in scripture second coming, second coming. Yeah. okay so so there we go it's pre and post refer to second coming when is the second coming and if you believe that the second coming is before the thousand years, okay, now dispensationalism, you get into rapture stuff, I just don't want to get us confused, then, then you're a, a premillennial person. If you believe the second coming is after, guess what we call those people? Post, yeah. And so post and pre, um, post and pre refer to when does Jesus return in relation to the millennium? Okay, so that's that's the reason for the language. But um, let's go ahead and, and read this and look at postmillennialism. Um, Stacy, would you start us out with that first bullet? Sure, postmillennialism believes that the gospel will be so successful that the world will be, in effect, Christianized. Okay, that's a big quality in postmillennialism. Uh, and in each view, there are variances from person to person or even... Over time, postmillennialism is one that's that's changed a lot in terms of what the common postmillennialist thinks today versus what the common postmillennialist thought in 1880 before World War One and World War Two. See how that would change? <laughs> World War One pretty much destroyed postmillennialism in America. Why? See that bullet? They thought the world was getting better. And then there was mustard gas and barbed wire and trench warfare and uh, machine guns. Awful war, gas masks. Uh, and people said, uh, remember our, our triangle there? How do you determine what's in, in scripture? We've got three things. Those of you who are in the Hermeneutics class, interpretation class, we're getting so much in advance. Um, you got three things. If you want to determine what the Bible is teaching, um, you got your own um, your own study of the Bible. 
Um, and then we've got, remember either of the other two? Sure. Three, three, like, yeah, 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 good. So um, we'll put this all in the, the category of community. So you got um, a dead, dead believers and living believers there. So church history and that guy. What have other people, other Christians studying the Bible, what the, have they said? Because remember, just me and my Bible is the first step to heresy. heresy. That's right. So read your Bible on your own and get no correction from any other believers who know more than you or know as much as you or maybe don't know as much as you, but ask an innocent question. Like sometimes a kid can say, why is it this? And you say, oh, you know, I need to go home and rethink my theology. And, and, uh, and then over here, you've got something we typically don't think of quite as much. It's, yeah, Christian living. Okay, so um, we live out what we believe to be true, and we say, did that work? Did that produce the results that Jesus said it would, or that Moses said it would? In other words, um, do, I, do I say, you know, Abraham had a bunch of wives, and so did David. Think I will, too, because I read my Bible. It's in the Bible. It's biblical. Okay, and so I live that out. And I find out, to my regret, that doesn't work very well, having, having two wives. If, you, if you've ever seen any, like, 2020 thing on people who are polygamous, you know, it's, it's hard for the wives. Um, you know, there's the competition thing, which Scripture also pulls out for us, you know, Sarah and, and Hagar, for instance, um, uh, Joseph's brothers, you know, they're four, four, they're four different mothers there, and they're always fighting. Um, but, but we live things out in, in, in our Christian life and say, did that work? Um, because good theology has good results. Now, qualification here. Sometimes Jesus says, do this, and you'll get roasted for this by the world. You know, all who desire to live God in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so, you know, if you declare something like we've had, you know, friends, Dale Bittner, you know, say, you know, I, I think, you know, all, you know, whatever he's been saying, I, I shouldn't mention him in particular, but say somebody who's a, a conservative Christian pastor then comes out and says, you know, I believe that homosexuality is fine and, and people should just be good homosexuals and, and, and um, uh, you know, at, anything goes in terms of officership in the church, women and men, all that kind of thing. Guess what? Guess what reviews they're going to get on Facebook? Oh, you're such a great pastor, not like one of those mean guys. You know, I've seen this with with brothers who have left the faith now. You know, just left the faith. And, you know, but over ten years. Um, but yeah, you can you can compromise, and and um, the the you know, the wrong community can affirm you. <laughs> yeah, or, or but yeah, so we look at we look at all these things together. Uh, but postmillennialism, they had looked at their Bible, they had studied it themselves. They had some people living and, and dead who agreed with postmillennialism, but then they looked in 1917, 19 yeah, and, and and said, you know what? Um, history hasn't been. We haven't been getting better. 
And I'm not convinced that the world is getting to be a greater percentage of Christians. In fact, it seems like, you know, Europe is giving up on Christianity, you know, and things are getting worse in the world and more wars are more horrible than they were before. And so uh, they looked at that and they said, you know what? Our firm conviction based on this didn't really work out. Um, we had a bigger war than we've ever had in the face of the earth. Um, so the Christian living caused them to come back and say, hmm, maybe I should rethink what Scripture is saying in various places. Um, and so post-millennialism you know, is not as popular today. Generally, it's just among the Reformed. Um, it's not a big view among the Reformed, but you won't really find it that in many places outside of Reformed Christianity. It was huge in, in Presbyterianism in the 1800s, uh, but that was, um, it was American. Okay, and Calvin wasn't there in post-millennialism. Um, Calvin was French who kind of lived in Switzerland his, most of his adult life. Um, but why would that, why, why does post-millennialism, that the world is getting better and better, why does that fit in America so well? Think what you learned about late 1800s history, American history in high school and middle school. Well, not to seem cynical, but the entire American experience is based on this idea that the old ways are bad and what, how we do it is going to be better. Yes. And then, in fact, they, they kind of wove in the evangelical movement in the 1800s the idea of a city on a hill, yeah. uh, speaking, you know, the city on the hill of America. Yeah. And then there was the Industrial Revolution, everything's going better, we've got democracy, etc. We've got so cool forth. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Forget the, the slavery thing. Yeah. But, right. you know. Yeah. And then even... So, so let, me just, yeah. let me just stop there. So, yeah, it's a very much, it's in the American um, ethos, there we go, Betsy, we were talking about that word the other day. It's in the American ethos or what we believe or one of our values that we are progressing, that we are getting better, that think we're inventing things. We've got, you know, you know today, iPhone or, you know, whatever. Um, you're, you're inventing stuff um, and, and things are getting better. And it's from our history. We were the first nation to say, let's have not a king and by you know uh, bicameral legislature three branches of government some of those things were theories um you had athens which was pure democracy but we went with a representative democracy and and had this you know great great experiment and and um and things generally have been good with that because it's um but but uh, that's very much you know, manifest destiny remember that from from middle school and, and history, that it's it's in our destiny that we just get bigger and better and more dominant, and we create, you know, like a lot of the settlers in the colonial days, a utopia of kind. We're gonna we're gonna have things be better than they were in Europe, uh, and so that really fed into postmillennialism, fed into. The American ethos, and that's why it was so big in America versus other place, other places in the world, where things were horrible, you know. And yet, well, 
Black Plague and things like that in the earlier days. Um, so this was relative, this was 1800 is when it started? Yeah, if you, read a, if you read a Presbyterian theologian from the 1800s, they're probably post-millennial. Uh, but uh, Calvin and other, um, uh, other uh, people out of the Reformation were not, post-millennialism wasn't very big. Yeah, and Calvin was of the view that the millennium was like we've been talking about from when Jesus ascended to when he returns. So really the big difference between that and amillennialism is just that, I mean, they both say that Jesus is coming back. Um, yeah. Everybody says Jesus is coming back, yeah. I mean, but Except for the, extreme pre preterists, yeah. At the end of the thousand years. It's just the difference as to they're saying it'll be Christianized. Yeah, so, so amillennialism versus postmillennialism, we both, we agree over here that the second coming is after the millennium. So Revelation 20, verse 7, when the thousand years are over, that's when there's the battle, Jesus shows up and he, he does away with evil once for all off the face of the earth, throws all evil into the lake of fire and, and recreates the heaven, uh, the, uh, recreates, renews the heavens and the earth. And so postmillennialists and amillennialists agree that Jesus is coming back after the millennium. Um, some postmillennialists, more so in, in earlier days, were closer to a thousand years. Um, and well, well, we'll get into that. Let me just let's read some of these bullets here. Um, and so, was there a question over here, Emily? Did you? Have, yeah. Yeah, the, uh huh. You were you were talking about organizing uh, yeah. how um, organize or like you test our beliefs yes. versus what the Bible says. Like, how... So here, yeah. So good, good question. Really good question. So um, we talk about the, the the Reformation idea in seminary. We talk about it like this. This these are not my ideas. Um, in the Reformation, they talk about sola scriptura. Scripture alone is our guide, our guide of faith and practice. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what, wherever, if it's something about faith, scripture's our answer. That's why I'm always weird on Matthew's time questions. <laughs> and I give him biblical answers because, you know, it's the, the it's a, it's a, a philosophical idea. Okay. But, uh, but, so when we want to get at scripture, this means alone, like soul, like I'm, I'm your, um, no, not soulmate, but I'm, I'm so my sole purpose. Yeah. Yeah. This, this one. Um, now hopefully your soulmate is your soul mate. Um, <laughs> what's that? That's a Greek idea. Not supported in scripture. Thank you. It is, it is. It's a bad, and yeah, just to, just to be, just to be fair, the idea of soulmate, that's not biblical. Yeah. Uh, that there's this one person out there that God has designed for you, that kind of thing. God is sovereign. He knows who that is. Uh, but um, there is not one person perfectly designed for you. Uh, get out of your ego. <laughs> there's somebody who will, you know, just God will use to chip away at all the things in you that are not Christ-like. And so designed in the marriage is that you will not get along. 
and that you will have to be patient and loving and kind and that you will have to change and that um, God gifts people differently and you have to rejoice in the gifts of the other person who's not doing things like you do them. <laughs> um, and so, anyway, so here's to Emily, your question. So to get at what scripture is saying, there are three inputs that three things we keep in mind so that we can get at what scripture is saying. One is we need to study the Bible ourselves, be like the Bereans. Paul's preaching the gospel to them and they search the scriptures to see if these things are true. So if we hear anything, we have to say, you know what? That really fits with what I've seen in scripture. That's how we Presbyterians get people. We say, we believe in election. And all these people and in churches that don't believe in elections say, I've seen that word and I've had this inner tension in me because my church says that doesn't exist. And it just doesn't seem right. And so they come to our church and they're kind of relieved that we embrace it, but we say they're not a robot at the same time. So, but, but we evaluate in our own study but we don't just have our own study and say, whatever I have decided, that's sola scriptura. That's, that's what the Bible teaches. Uh, because we are limited in our knowledge. We have fallen logic in our head. We have motivations for things to be true. You know, if, if I wanted to be married to five women, you know, then that would be a motivation to find that in scripture. And I would need other brothers to say, mm, no, and to point to me in scripture how that's not the case and, and that God, you know, doesn't have to condemn it every time it happens in scripture in order for it to be wrong. Um, and so we, we look, we do our own study and then we say, okay, now, and we can go either direction first. We can say, have any dead believers written about this and what did they say? And, and see if they alert me to, oh, this is something the church condemned as a heresy in, you know, 8325. Um, uh, there aren't three gods, but there's one God in three persons. You know, and the church has affirmed that. Greatly. Or are there uh, people presently um, whom are trustworthy, you know, that I can... And we, we look, you know, here not only to those who are, you know, in the, in the PCA but also other believers who are not part of Presbyterianism and that kind of thing, you know, and we say, are they offering something that would, that's a legitimate scriptural thing that we're not looking at or that we've kind of minimized and that we shouldn't have been minimized. And so we look at our, our community dead and living and we see what have they said as they have done their own study and talked them, talk, talked among themselves um, there. And then we also look at, Okay, so here we've got post-millennialism, but then we also look at, does it work out in life? Or does it produce the results that scripture says it will? Again, it might produce results that mean your mom and dad disown you because you're a believer and they're not. Um, like, you know, for you know some Catholics or Jews who come to faith in Jesus and are in a Protestant church, some get disowned. Um, but scripture predicts that. Um, and, and so we say, okay, that fits. Um, 
uh, and so we look at, so we, we, we check into all three of these in order to get at this, um, all the time keeping humility in our, our hearts and minds as we look at scripture and dealing with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who have different views on some different things um, <clears throat> and say, but I believe, you know, if they're saying, I believe the Bible, I just believe the Bible's teaching this, you know, like tongues, for instance. You know, it's like, I, I don't believe that's going on today. Um, but um, they're looking at the same Bible and saying, well, I think it does go on today, and I think the Bible justifies it. Look here. Um, and so we just, we, we keep these things in mind um, to, to get to the, to the center here. And, and the big thing for us really is, especially as independent American, I can do it myself, people, that we don't just look at our own study and equate that with what the Bible says. And that's really important. It keeps us humble. It keeps us interacting uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ in a, a God-honoring way, a loving way. Um, and, you know, all of us here believe things now that we didn't used to believe. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a result of these three things, whether we know it or not. You know, maybe we live something out and we say, that just doesn't work. That was too hard. You know, like some people um, believe you should have as many kids as you can when you get married. But, but some women get deep postpartum depression. And so do, do, you stick, do you stick on that in your own study? You know, not, not the whole Christian community hasn't said that forever. Scripture says children are a blessing. And blessed is man, his quiver is full of them, but it doesn't give a command. You shall have a quiver full of kids. And we look at Jesus and Paul and say, they didn't have any. They weren't even married. Um, and so as a, as a husband, I don't force my, my you know, wife to say, you know what? We need to have as many kids as possible. And then she goes and commits suicide or, or, or becomes uh, unfunctional. Um, and she's got, you know, a crop in the field and what uh, what's four hungry children children and a crop in the field yeah um you picked a fine time to go into deep depression lucille um (laughs) says kenny rogers and and so so we look at we look at things like this you know that was that was one thing you know i was uh, with a, a pastor who was more on this more on this have as many kids as you can before we went to seminary and then you know, one of the seminary professors I respected the most had one child, and then we, we were friends with some people, and there was that going on with postpartum depression, and they were in that viewpoint, you have as many kids as you possibly can. Um, and, and so you just say, you know what, the whole community it does not agree on this. And so that should give me pause. And then also in Christian living, there, there are some women that can have 12 kids, and it is a blessing to them. It's a great thing. Uh, we've got a, a friend we went to China with. He was a student at the time. How many kids does Jonathan have? He's got like 12 kids, 11 kids. Yeah. And that's worked out. He's a, he's a doctor, and he can afford it, buy a house for him and provide for him and that kind of thing, and he's a strong believer. Uh, um, but um, so we just we, we look at that. We look at these kind of things. Um, and yeah, quick quick two questions. We're at 21 after. Okay, just real quick question. Yeah. So you have pre, you have pod, you have post. Yeah. And so 
for my brain to get wrapped around it. Yeah. Um, really, it comes down to the non-negotiables, faith alone, and everything else. For instance, for instance, the, the premillennials have a system theology in which they work their theology out. The Reformed have theirs. The Lutherans have theirs. The Catholics have theirs. A little bit weird, but <laughs> my point is that you have these systems in which we filter all of our beliefs through. Right. Westminster, whatever. Yeah. They all believe them deeply. The dispensationalists can argue them. They're not idiots. I mean, you've got right. doctoral students that are brilliant sure. that will argue it quite well. Yeah. My point is that it really just comes down to a few non-negotiables. Mm -hmm. You can't negotiate on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You yeah. can't negotiate on just virgin birth. We can't negotiate on faith alone. So really, all of the other stuff is peripheral, filtered through their own systems, yeah. which we all believe deeply. Yeah. Uh, but it really comes down to just some core, very few core issues, or you said scripture yeah. is basically pointing us to love God, love God. Yeah. And so it, it, it really, everything else is kind of yeah. um, intramural sport amongst, yeah. the, amongst evangelicals. Yeah. And Good. Yeah. Well put. So what's this? Okay, it's the cone of certainty. And so uh, what's up here in terms of certainty? What's the Okay, uh, not specifics. I'm looking at a key for this diagram. So what's up here? What word do we write here? In terms of certainty, high. high. Great. High certainty. And what's down here? Low. Low. And what's in the middle? In the middle. There we go. Okay. What's, what's in the cone? Okay, beliefs. Yeah. So beliefs are in the cone. So the Bible is full of all kinds of beliefs. Every dot's a belief in the Bible, okay? And, and so here we go. And a, a, fun, uh, a fundamentalist is somebody who's got an inverted cone, and they think that, uh, so in terms of volume of biblical facts, um, what's the smallest volume of biblical facts in this diagram? Things of high certainty. Things of high certainty. And so we've got what Steve was mentioned, virgin birth. That's a, that's a live-or-die thing of the, the New Testament. Okay, um, Jesus says throughout John, the Father sent me. I came from above, and I'm going back. Not for the first time. I'm going back to my Father in heaven when I die. Um, and so those are very, those aren't vague terms in Scripture. So when Scripture is very specific in explaining a doctrine, and frequent in explaining the doctrine, we put that in high category, and these are things over which we break fellowship with people. So if someone doesn't believe you know, that Jesus came from heaven, that salvation is only through Jesus and not in any other way, um, we break fellowship over these high certainty things. But we realize that the high certainty things, um, Fundamentalists think the high certainty things are most everything I believe from Scripture. And so they break fellowship a lot. And so they have lots of denominations within their denominational stripe. 
okay? Uh, and, and so fundamentalist typical denominations have lots of variations and lots of denominations within them, okay? Um, and then there are, there are medium things in, in scripture um, that we could say of medium certainty where the Bible talks about them a few times and is fairly clear about those things. Um, but we wouldn't break fellowship over it or call the person a non-believer over it. And so, you know, maybe, and then, then you got low certainty things like, um, you know, what size were Jesus' feet? Did Jesus have long hair? That's a hard one to take when you read 1 Corinthians 11 and Paul says it's just a matter of nature that men have short hair and women have long hair. Right? And so, you know, that, that makes us think about the paintings we have from Europe, you know, from the Renaissance forward of Jesus. Um, you know, and so, so low certainty, you know, did, did Jesus wear sandals? I don't know. Well, most people today, if we can find out something historical, wore sandals, but that still doesn't determine it for us. Maybe Jesus had Jesus boots. <laughs> we don't know. So that's, you know, low certainty stuff is there. Now, low certainty stuff, there's a right and a true answer for this. There is an answer. And if the Bible addresses something, we want to have the best answer that we can given the scriptural evidence. But we won't break fellowship with somebody or call somebody a heretic because he believes Jesus had long hair. Okay, we just, we just say, well, prove that from scripture, but you're my brother and give him a fist bump. Um, medium stuff, you know, maybe, maybe tongues kind of comes in here at a low medium there. Does prophecy exist today or is that talking about teachers? That'd be, that'd be a low thing here or maybe a medium thing here. Um, Where would election be? So election, 44 times in the New Testament and Ephesians 1.4. You were predestined before the foundation of the, of the world. And, and so, you know, that's, that's pretty high. But even in that, we recognize that's a little hard to understand. And there's a lot of teaching out there that's different. And so we wouldn't, we, we'd say, you know what? I'm going to put that here. I'm not going to break fellowship with somebody. Um, but in the PCA, for instance, we say, that's pretty high. Scripture's pretty clear about that. You're not going to get Romans 8. You're not going to get glorified unless you were foreordained. Unless you were foreknown. You're not justified unless you're foreknown. And so, you know, that's pretty close to the gospel itself. And we, we call doc, that's part of the doctrines of grace. It's part of the gospel that we're elected. But yet we understand and we take a, a kind, patient stance um, toward, toward others. And so we kind of put that in a medium. But you can't, you can't be an ordained officer in the church in the PCA without believing in election because we consider that so close to who we are as a denomination. But we do not. We do not say that somebody that doesn't believe in election isn't a believer based on that lack of belief. We just say that's they've been taught differently and and um, 
web of multiple reciprocities, her grandfather and their mother and their sister and their dad and their brother and all the pastors they liked said election's evil. And so they're having a hard time getting away from it. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, Steve, to, you know, just to really underline your point and say, yes, there we go. And so millennial views were like here on that, you know, and, and we say, you know what, who cares? We're going to be with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. And we're going to say, Ooh, got that one wrong <laughs> in lots of things. And so, um, uh, and so, so you know, this is fundamentalism and this means you're arguing with lots of people and you've got, um, 12 different stripes of your denomination in your town of 20,000 in Clayton, North Carolina. <laughs> uh, and, and so, um, because you're holding up as, as high all these things that aren't as clearly taught in scripture as, as we know. So again, we don't say, well, that's low certainty. It could be anything. We say, no, 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 no. It's low certainty, but the Bible speaks about it. Let's talk about what seems like the best solution here. The best answer to our question, what scripture seems to be talking. But if it's vague and book of Revelation, you know, it's prophecy. You know, so it's like the Old Testament prophets and, and it's images and pictures. It's intentionally not saying, and in 979 years and four months and two weeks and three days, you know, at 2.38 p.m. and 12 seconds Eastern time, daylight, this will happen. That's specific. But scripture's not that specific, and, and images like we have in Revelation are not that specific. So this doesn't cause us to be hopeless in what we believe. This causes us to interact with our fellow believers with kindness and grace and as brothers and sisters, um, yet realizing if they're saying there's another way to God than Jesus, they're probably not a Christian. And I, I need to be patient, kind with them as a non-believer at that point. But still, patience and kindness there. And, and then, then this stuff in here is, like Steve put it, intramural. You know, it's, it's us talking. We both, we both go to the same university, and, but we're on different volleyball teams, different intramural volleyball teams. But on Saturday, we'll root for the same football team that represents our school. Um, okay, great. Some good things here. So we'll uh, go on with postmillennialism and good talk and uh, uh, good uh, comments and questions this morning. Let's pray and then we'll uh, gather back for worship really fast. <laughs> Father, thanks for uh, your love for us and thanks for caring for us. Help us as we seek to understand the scriptures. And uh, we pray that you'd help focus us now to worship you well. Amen.